So about 10 years ago, uh, I was doing a message, a youth message, and uh, I was a youth pastor in Marshall, Minnesota, and I uh, was doing a youth message uh, on a similar passage to what we have today on Jesus coming back, and uh, I, I decided to give them some really specific application, and was like, hey, you know, just to remind yourself that Jesus come, could come back anytime, what if you just wrote on, on like a piece of paper Something like, it could be today, you know, and put it on your mirror or on your, your dashboard of your car or on your locker or whatever. You know, I was like, what you, you just did this to remind yourself, Jesus could, could come back at any moment. Um, just say it could be today. Well, they took this real literally. And uh, if you want to put up this photo here. So they, some, some of the youth and uh, one of the youth leaders as well decided to um, uh, break into my house. Uh, by the way, don't leave your windows unlocked. Um, lesson learned, they got in through a window that was unlocked that I didn't realize. Um, we weren't there, and they, they didn't just come in and print like hundreds of these and, and like put them all over the place. They hid them all over our house. They must have been there hours, because to this day, like this week, I found this one in a book. So that survived a move and a couple kids, like this is, this is how intense they got about this. So um, while, while it's funny, I, I actually kind of like finding them because it's a good reminder to me, oh yeah, it, it could be today. Jesus could come back today. And that's, that's what our passage is about today. We're going through 1 Thessalonians and uh, we're in chapter 5. We took a little break during Advent or in Christmas season. Now we're back and we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 3. And that's, that's a great title for this message. It could be Today, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3 today, and I'll be using the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. So 1 Thessalonians 5, we'll start with just verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, it says, About the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So the first thing we see here is that the day of the Lord is unpredictable. The day that Jesus is coming back, we have no idea. It's unpredictable. Now, right away in verse 1, it says about the times and seasons. Now, when it says about, we, we actually saw in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians that Timothy was sent by Paul to this church in Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians who he's writing to. He, Timothy was sent to encourage them and to strengthen them. And Timothy, after encouraging them and strengthening them, returned to Paul. And undoubtedly, the Thessalonians sent a letter with Timothy back to Paul. And so Paul is now writing a letter back to them, and that's the book of 1 Thessalonians. So undoubtedly, he does this, and when it says about, we know that Paul is now addressing questions or concerns that they had in their letter, and Paul is writing back going, oh yeah, you talked about that. Let me, let me help you out with that. Paul uses the same Greek phrase, which was the original language 1 Thessalonians was written in, and we, we actually see that in 1 Corinthians as well. He addresses some of the Corinthians' questions they wrote to Paul, and he wrote back and addressed their questions and used the same phrase here. We, we already saw it in 1 Thessalonians, actually. In 4 verse 9, he says, about brotherly love. So apparently they had some questions about brotherly love. He addresses them. In 4.13, he says, concerning the dead. They had some questions about the dead. He answered those, and now in 5 verse 1, he says, about 
the times and the seasons. Now we know because of the context here that he's talking about the when, the timing of the day of the Lord, of when Jesus will come back. Because at the end of chapter 4, and right here explicitly in four, 5 verse 2, he's addressing the day of the Lord. So he's basically saying, hey, y'all are wondering when the day of the Lord will come. So let's talk about that. And at the end of verse 1, Paul's response is basically this. I take it back. There are dumb questions. No, he's, he's not that blunt about it, right? He's a lot more kind. Uh, he, says, you don't, he says, you do not need anything to be written to you. He's basically saying, I, I made it a point when I was with you, when, I, when he planted this church in Thessalonica, he made it a point to teach them over and over again that the day of the Lord cannot be predicted. It's unpredictable. You, you can't predict it. The day and the hour is unknown. Think of like a kid asking their parent, Hey, mom, dad, when can I watch TV? And the parent says, when I say so, but not yet. Okay, you, don't you, kids, don't you love that vague answer? You know, when, when I say so, but not yet. But, you know, we give those responses sometimes. And Paul is like a parent doing that. He's like, it will happen, I promise you. But like I told you, not yet. And I don't know when. It's not for us to know. So... He uses this analogy in verse 2. He says, like a thief in the night. You yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, you have no idea when someone's going to try to break into your house and rob your house. You have even less idea when they try to rob your house at night because, well, it's dark. You, you, you can't see them coming nearly as well. That's why in you know, the movie Home Alone, the wet bandits break in at night right? They don't do it during the day. Now, Kevin McAllister had something else to say about that and prevented them, but back on track, the point is that especially the Thessalonians who Paul's writing to, a thief breaking in at night, you're not going to see him coming, okay? This was almost 2,000 years ago, okay? Edison had not invented the light bulb. There were no security systems. There was no alarm systems. There was no uh, camera on the, uh, on the front porch. You're not going to see them coming. So the point here, though, is that the day of the Lord is unpredictable. So stop trying to predict it. You can't. Now, I want to just go through some of the dangers of trying to predict the day of the Lord. Now, lots of people throughout history have tried to do this, and I just want to point out why it would be so dangerous for the Thessalonians and for anyone, and especially us, to try to do this. So first, you could become really irresponsible right now if you did this. You could be like, well, you know what? Jesus is coming back next week, so I'm just going to be lazy today, or I'm going to live recklessly today. We actually saw some of the Thessalonians doing that in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, just being lazy, not working hard, and Paul called them out on it. Another danger is that your focus would be off. See, your focus would get so um, so pinpointed on your accomplishment of, I figured out the day that the Lord is coming back, that your focus is no longer on Jesus. See, see your focus is now on your accomplishments rather than Jesus' work. And, and then another danger of trying to predict the day of the Lord, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. Christ's return is unpredictable by nature. So chances are you will be disappointed if you try to do this. So I want to talk about why 
the Thessalonians were so concerned about the when of the day of the Lord. If, if Paul had already taught them about this, then why did, they keep, why did they come back to him and go, hey, Paul, can't you just tell us when he's coming back? We, well, here's why. Here's why they were so concerned about this. We learn from Acts 17, which is, which is the account of the Thessalonian church being planted. We learn that the Thessalonians were persecuted by the Jews for following Christ. And it could have been really severe persecution. It could have been really intense. So two main reasons they became so fixated on the when of the day of the Lord is one, they desperately wanted relief from their suffering of persecution. And two, they desperately wanted justice and punishment for those who were persecuting them. And those are both great godly desires, right? Relief and justice. It's always easier to deal with hardship, especially persecution, when you know it's going to end, when you know exactly when it's going to end. The problem, though, is that the nature of the day of the Lord is that it's unpredictable. So as we're going to see later in this passage, the day of the Lord is not just unpredictable, it is inevitable, and it is sure. It's going to happen. There will be relief. There will be justice for them. However, it's not for them to know the timing of it. And this is us too, isn't it? I mean, we, we probably don't face the type of persecution that the Thessalonians faced, but we desperately desire relief from the pain and the, the suffering that we experience in this world. And, and, and we desperately desire justice when other people mistreat us. So here's our hope. The day of the Lord is inevitable. Jesus will bring relief and he will bring justice from every single last hardship and injustice you experience. But here's our struggle. We don't know when it's going to happen. But here's our strength. God's timing is perfect and we can trust him. And we can trust him with absolute assurance and absolute confidence. See, the key to living in the present as people of the future, which is what we entitled this series, is trusting God's perfect timing, even when it's unknown to us. Think of it like this. We have no idea when spring is going to come, right? Especially in Iowa. No idea. I remember a few years ago, in February, having a 70-degree day where our connection group met out back for a campfire and had s'mores, okay? I, I, but I also remember May when there was snow, and that's just Iowa for you, right? March, if we're lucky, we'll, we'll have spring come. April, some years. May, most years. And June, for sure, by, but by that point, it just turns right into summer, but spring will come. The snow and the cold will go away. We just don't know when. See, the point is that even more certain than spring coming in Iowa is that Jesus will bring relief and he will bring justice and make all things right one day. Amen? But the day of the Lord is unpredictable. We don't know when. The next thing we see in this passage is that the day of the Lord is abrupt. The beginning of verse 3. It says, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. So here's what this is saying. For those who don't truly know Christ, the day of the Lord will be quite abrupt. And as it says, it will be sudden. 
and quite unwelcome. Notice what they say here. They say, peace and security. And this is interesting because true peace and security is exactly what we find in relationship with Christ. But this isn't that peace and security that's found in Christ. This is peace and security in this world. And for the Thessalonians, Paul is saying, beware of the sense of peace and security that the Romans are trying to sell you. So Thessalonica was in the Roman Empire, which was vast and great at that time. And they were trying to sell a false sense of peace and security. Commentator Gene Green notes that the Roman Emperor Augustus boasted of how their cities in the Roman Empire had comfort in peacetime and security in wartime. So they enjoyed this. The Thessalonians enjoyed comfort in peacetime and security in wartime. However, theologian Colin Nichol rightly called this Roman peace and security a delusional sense of immunity from the divine wrath. A delusional sense of immunity from the divine wrath. See, so you can see why this message of the day of the Lord, like Jesus is coming back, was super unpopular and probably one of the sources of persecution. This is why they were being persecuted. Things are fine. Christians over here, just be quiet. Quit saying doom and destruction. Quit saying Jesus is coming back. Like, be quiet. We have peace. We have security. But it was misplaced. And Paul's saying to them, beware of finding faux peace and security here and now in this broken world. Beware of finding false peace in the here and now. And as we fast forward to 2023, Today, I think we see this the most in physical comfort. We see a world that is trying to sell false peace through physical comfort over and over again. Commercials are trying to sell you this all the time. If you just get this sleep number bed, you'll have the best sleep ever. You'll be so comfortable. If you just get this comfier recliner, You'll really have it made. If you just get this larger vehicle, then you'll, you'll have it. If you just go on a longer vacation, if you take an earlier retirement. But here's the thing. This world is not your home. Don't live like it. Sure, and enjoy the good gifts that God has given you, but don't make them your source of peace and joy. They cannot give you what your heart craves. Only Christ can give you that. Real, lasting peace is only found in Jesus. Do not be deceived. Don't be so caught up in finding peace and comfort in this world that the day of the Lord sneaks up on you and it's sudden and abrupt. Beware of finding false security as well in the here and now in this broken world. I think we see this in 2023 through this world trying to sell us on this idea of, of self-preservation at all costs. Many people have become risk-averse. They never take risks on anything. Protect, protect, protect. Now, let me give a disclaimer. We need to be wise, and we certainly need to protect ourselves and our families to a point. But living a life of self-sacrifice and self-sacrifice, by the way, is the definition of true love. 
Living a life of self-sacrifice for God and for others inevitably requires taking risks. Be careful not to fall into the trap of finding false security in the here and now. Be careful of not falling into the trap of getting insurance for your insurance for your, your insurance. Be careful of not falling into the trap of always staying home so that you won't get sick. Be careful of not falling into the trap of avoiding being open and honest with others just so you won't get hurt. Be careful of to not fall into the trap of ignoring that person just so you don't potentially have an awkward exchange. Be careful of falling into the trap of avoiding bringing up Jesus with others because they might think you're weird. Real, lasting security is only found in Christ. Do not be deceived. And don't be so caught up in trying to find security in this world. The day of the Lord will be sudden and abrupt if that's how you live. Next, we see in this passage that the day of the Lord is consequential. The day of the Lord is consequential. Verse 3 When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The day of the Lord is consequential, and for some it will be absolutely terrible. This terrible experience, as it says in this verse, of destruction that will be like labor pains, and you will not escape. Who is this for? It tells us. It says, they... It says them, it says they. He is not addressing the church in Thessalonica. He's not addressing the followers of Christ in this church. He's addressing people who have not repented of their sin, who have not turned away from their sin and trusted in Christ and his finished work on the cross to give them his record, to make them his children, to be born again spiritually. And if you haven't done that, the day of the Lord will be absolutely terrible. How terrible? Well, this verse tells us. It says, sudden destruction will come upon them. Sudden. Jesus isn't going to show up and go, okay, you can have one last chance. No. There's no second chances. You believe in Christ now or you are literally playing with fire. It's a sudden destruction. Destruction, unfortunately, is not talking about annihilation. You don't just cease to exist. That would be better, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about eternal torment. We see this throughout the scriptures. First, we see that it's eternal emotional torment through separation from God, void of joy, void of peace, void of security. If you turn just a page over in your Bible... 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. It will be eternally emotionally tormenting because we won't have what our hearts and our, our lives were created for, which was the presence of God himself. But it won't just be eternally emotionally tormenting, it will be eternally physically tormenting. Jesus talks about this over and over, more than he talks about heaven even. 
Revelation backs all of that up. And it says here in this verse, it will be like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now I'm not, I'm a guy, all right? I am a man. I have never been pregnant. I will not ever be pregnant, okay? So I'm not gonna pretend to understand that I get this level of pain, okay? So just exhale, ladies. But um, observing, simply observing other women's reactions when I see other guys try to make comparisons, like, oh, I had this operation. It was probably a lot. It hurt so much. It was probably like labor pains. And I have women go like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? You're going to try? Are you, you have no idea. You know what I'm saying? Just, just by that reaction tells me that it, it's pretty stinking terrible. Okay? So it must be incredibly terrible pain if that's, if that's how women are reacting who have been through it. So it's like labor pains on a pregnant woman. It's going to be absolutely excruciating. And then it says they will not escape. It's going to be so terrible that there's going to be no running. There's going to be no hiding. There's going to be no escape. There's going to be no meticulously planning an escape route, meticulously just over time digging a tunnel out of the prison, kind of like the movie Shawshank Redemption, where, the, where you see they just plan this out meticulously, this escape. There's going to be no way to do that. There's no way of escape. You cannot escape the God of the universe. So let me just pull over for a second. I've been talking about how terrible hell is going to be. And it begs the question, why is the punishment so terrible and so severe for unbelievers? Well, first, it just has to be said, God's ways are not our ways. So I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that I know exactly why this is so severe and so terrible. I'm not God. I don't know. But here's two compelling answers from two pillars of the faith. And the first one is from Jonathan Edwards. And he talks about how the severity of the punishment has more to do with who you sin against than how much you sin. So for example, if you murder someone, if you murder another man or a woman, a human being, you should get some sort of lifetime sentence, right? But if you attack and you rebel against God with sin, you should have an infinite lifetime sentence because he is eternal. His life has gone on forever. He lasts forever. He is infinitely worthy of obedience because he is God. The punishment is so severe for unbelievers because of who they have sinned against, a holy God. Greg Morse says it best. We sin against a God infinitely worthy of obedience, infinite in glory, infinite in purity, and no dignity is higher and no transgression viler. It reveals much that we see more problems with the punishment than the crime. See, the severity of the punishment has more to do with who you sin against than how much you sin. The second compelling argument of why the punishment is so terrible and so severe for unbelievers is from John Stott, who said that eternal conscious punishment would be much more sensible to him if perhaps the, impenitent of the, the impenitence of the lost also continues throughout eternity. So he's saying it would make a lot more sense 
if people who reject Christ continue to reject Christ for all eternity. And he makes the case that they, in fact, do. Revelation 16, 8, listen to what happens. The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire, and the people were scorched by the intense heat. So they repented and said, we're sorry, Jesus. No, they actually didn't. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Same thing happens next in verse 10. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness and people gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they, but they did not repent of their works. See, John Stott is making a case from Revelation 16 that eternal punishment is fitting because when people reject Christ, they continue to reject Christ forever. It's not like they go to hell and go, oh no, I made a mistake. I actually really love you, Jesus. No, they go there and go, how could you do this, Jesus? You're the worst. I hate you. And they continue to do that for all eternity. So if you have not repented of sin, if you've not trusted in Christ, that day will be terrible. But if you have, it will be incredible. Look at, look at the verses right before this in 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at chapter 4, verses 16 to 18 with me. This is how incredible it's going to be, the day of the Lord, if you are in Christ. Verse 16, 4 verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Look at that. Verse 17, we will meet the Lord. We will finally get to meet Jesus face to face. We'll get to ask him all the questions we've ever wanted. We'll get be with him face to face, but it just doesn't end there. In the end of verse 17, we will always be with the Lord. We don't just get to meet him. We will have an eternal, beautiful relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you remember a time where you had a conversation with a friend or maybe your spouse or just someone you're really close to and you just kept talking and was, you really felt like they understood you and you understood them and you just, you talked late into the night and you just wished that conversation would never end. I think we've all been there, right? You just, you're like, wow, this is incredible. We will have that experience with the Lord forever. And it will be better than any conversation you've had here on earth. And it will be that way forever. This is how incredible it will be. So I have to ask you this morning, which will it be for you? Will the day of the Lord be terrible or will it be incredible? 
Let me read once again, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. It says, They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. But verse 10, On that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed, because our testimony among you was believed. Will it be terrible like verse 9? Or will it be incredible like verse 10? Because the day of the Lord will be consequential one way or the other. And lastly, the day of the Lord will be inevitable. It's inevitable. It says at the end of verse 3, it's like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This means that it's absolutely certain. So Paul is not just talking about the pain experienced from labor pains. He's talking about the inevitability of labor pains. No woman has ever delivered a baby by natural means without first experiencing the pain of labor. It is inevitable. It is 100% certain you will go through that. And so Paul is saying, as certain as a pregnant woman who delivers a baby will experience labor pains, you can be absolutely certain that the day of the Lord will come. So what does this mean for us? The inevitability of the day of the Lord. This means that we all, regardless of where you stand with Christ, should be moved to urgency urgency. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you should be moved to to repent of your sins and believe in Christ. An urgency to today give your life to Christ. Do not wait another day. It is going to happen. There's no way around it, and it's unpredictable. You have no idea when it's going to happen. Don't delay. I beg you. If this is you, I beg you to submit to Christ. Take Christ's record on yourself. He's sitting there offering that. You don't have to do a thing. You just trust in him, believe in him, give your life to him. It's a free gift, but feel that urgency. I, I, I don't want to pull any punches with you. The scripture doesn't, so I'm not going to. If you don't do that, you are going to have a terrible eternity, and I don't want that for you, and neither does the Lord. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you also should have an incredible urgency to tell others about Jesus because it is inevitable. Jesus is coming back. It's going to happen and it's unpredictable. So think about it. How many people has God put in your life already that you've never even talked to about Jesus or worse, they don't even know you love Jesus? That, that coworker that you joke around with every day at work, that, that family member that you celebrate holidays with multiple times a year, that neighbor that you make small talk with on occasion, do you feel an urgency to tell them about Christ? Jesus could come back today and you perhaps never even tried to share Christ with them. All of us, should walk away from this scripture and not feel comfortable. We should feel an urgency either to trust in Christ ourselves or to tell everyone about Jesus. I hope you feel that urgency. I hope the Holy Spirit gives you that urgency. Quit clinging to the, the false peace and security that this world is trying to sell you on and live a life 
urgently trying to tell the world about Jesus. But the inevitability of the day of the Lord also should produce a profound sense of assurance and encouragement for those who are in Christ, for followers of Christ. Because here's what's true for you. Whatever hurt you're experiencing today, Someday, on the day of the Lord, that will be completely healed. Whatever loneliness you're experiencing today, maybe you're in a room full of people and you just feel so isolated and alone. Someday, you will never feel alone again. Whatever sadness you're feeling today, someday will be turned to joy. Whatever anger you have toward injustice will one day be made completely right. And whatever fear you have today of what's to come, someday will be calmed and quieted completely. And even whatever happiness you experience today, one day will be even better for all time. Because Jesus is coming back and it's inevitable and this is the best news for us who are in Christ. Find assurance, find encouragement in the inevitability of Christ's return. So as I close, I want you to just picture this as I read about eternity from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It could be today. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, what we do with this scripture will literally determine our eternity. So I pray, Jesus, that you would put with it in each person here an urgency a level of discomfort, either for their own souls or for the souls of those around them who do not know Christ. And forgive us for living with a false sense of peace and a false sense of security that's not found in you, Jesus. Give us that urgency. 
Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you that not because of anything we did, but quite in spite of everything we've done and said, of of all the sinful things we've said and done, in spite of that, you offered your life for us. And because of that, we don't just get a get out of hell free card. We get an eternity with you, Jesus. And that relationship is experienced right now, but one day we'll experience it to the full. Help us. Help us in this time right now of the already, not yet. We're not there. Jesus not come back, but we have this assurance. Lord, help us as believers. To not live in such a way that would say that we don't care about other people's souls, that we don't care that Jesus is coming back. Help us to live in such a way that, that we, would, we would care deeply for those around us. So much so that we would be willing to step out of our normal routine, out of our normal habits, out of our comfort zone, out of even what our personality would say is comfortable and talk to people about Jesus and share this life-changing message with them. And I pray for those in here that do not know you that today would be the day of salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just sing one last song with us.